0: 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. "'But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh.'" For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. The word of the Lord. may be seated.
1: It's good to be here this morning. I've been talking with my kids about being up here this week and they've been asking me questions and kind of, I think they've been curious about what that might look like. They've been asking me what, like, what I think I'm gonna wear and stuff like that. And um, <clears throat> the last thing that, that my daughter said to me last night was, Dad, don't make it long. So <laughs> <I'll> t- <laughs> I'm gonna get going and this time I'm gonna try to get my, my uh, clock going. Thirty years ago this month, a graduate student in physics at the University of Iowa found out that his doctoral thesis wasn't chosen for a prestigious award and the funding that went with it. He was very upset about this, and he decided to take out his revenge by coming to campus and killing three of his professors, killing his his student and classmate, and former roommate who actually won the award and then also the Vice President of Academic Affairs. It was a terrible and tragic day, and some people now say that that tragedy that happened then was a precursor to the, to the campus shootings that we've unfortunately seen in our, in our present time. But it was also the beginning of some amazing things, amazing stories that are still going on today. The the shooter and the student victim were part of a small community of Chinese students on campus. And that community was rocked by this tragedy. And many of them that were there at the memorial service for Ann Cleary, who was the vice president of academic affairs at the time. And Ann's three brothers were adult brothers that flew in from out of town to be part of this memorial service. And they made the decision that they wanted to write a letter to the family of the shooter. And at the memorial service, they publicly forgave the shooter. And they read the letter at that, and I'd like to read an excerpt of it for you this morning. During this time of pain, Anne would want our hearts to be filled with compassion, generosity, and love. We all know that the only family which feels more grief than us at this time, is your family. And we want you to know that we are with you in this sorrow." Powerful, powerful words. Many of the Chinese students were astounded at this forgiveness, and they wanted to know more about this Christianity. And some of them gave their lives to Christ at that very night. This is an amazing example of how a simple act of missional living can be a huge part in the process of making disciples. And we're going to talk more about this today. God, we need you this morning, Lord. Would you please open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. Lord, will you encourage us with your word? Will you show us where to place our faith? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, Gerald touched on this passage a few sermons ago, so if you go back to the September archives, you can hear about it. But basically, Paul had been at this church in Corinth, or he had gone to Corinth, and he had started to preach, and people were coming to the faith, and the church was growing in number at the time. And he was there for about a year and a half, and when he left and moved on, another man named Apollos came and took his place there. And apparently, the church continued to grow under Apollos' leadership. And that's what Paul is addressing in this letter right now, because what was happening was there were factions that were starting to form in the church. Some people were saying, I follow Paul, and other people were saying, I follow Apollos. And Paul stamps all that out here when he says, you shouldn't be following Paul, Paul or Apollos, you should be following God. And that's what this passage is about. And I think that he illustrates this beautifully to describe the process of, of building a church when he says, I planted Apollos' waters, but God gave the growth. Now, Paul in this passage was writing about the church on, on a macro level and on how the church grows, but I want to I pivot this morning and I want to focus in more on a micro level because I think this, this factors into and speaks to personal evangelism and the process of someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So I wanna concentrate on that this morning. I believe that the same process of planting, watering, and God making it grow also applies to the way that God uses believers at different times and at different ways in the life of a person that he's growing towards faith in Jesus. And today I'd like to demonstrate this by sharing some stories of God using people to do this very thing. Gerald kicked off Missions Month for us with a sermon in which he said, Jesus' assignment for his followers is to make disciples. And that's the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Gerald used the parable of the talents to lay out how the end to which we are living is Jesus' return, at which time, at which time, we will be measured on how well we've fulfilled fulfilled this assignment of making disciples. And I think think that this passage offers us a lot of hope and encouragement on how we can fulfill that mission well. It's also one of the primary ways that we live by faith towards the end. This passage tells us exactly where we we should be placing our faith and towards the end. So let's dig into the passage now. Uh, Please open up your Bibles again if you close them to to, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to be concentrating on verses 5 through 9. And sometimes I like to use the old Bible study principle of asking who, what, when, where, and why questions. So I'm going to do that this morning. So the first question is who. Verse 5 says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed servants through whom you believed. God often, and usually I would say, uses specific people in the process of someone coming to faith. God often and usually uses specific people in the process of someone coming to faith. As I mentioned, I'd like to share with you some stories of how God uses specific people to plant and water. Well, I I was born in a small town, educated in a small town, and I was taught to fear Jesus in that small town. Some Camp fans out there, too? I did actually grow up in a small town, and I grew up going to church every Sunday with my family to the only church in that small town. And I firmly believed that I was a Christian because A, I believed in God, B, I went to church, and see, I was a pretty good person. I tried my best to be, be a good person, and I didn't get into too much huge trouble. And I went away to college and I had the opportunity to really explore things on my own, come up with, with my own thoughts and worldviews and things like that, and I did. I, I met a lot of new people, tried a lot of new things, and I was pretty proud of myself because one of the things I came back to was that I decided That I was going to go to church every Sunday. No matter where I'd been the night before or what shape I was in on Sunday morning, I was going to go to church because I was a Christian. And my life was characterized by ups and downs through this time. And as I look back on it now, I realize that I was creating my own religion. I was creating something that worked for me. I I wanted God in my life, but I only wanted God who would approve of the things that I was doing and living my new life the way I wanted to live it. And, but things started to change when I met certain people. Keith was a fun-loving and gregarious man who had an interesting way of opening up envelopes. And I worked with Keith at a construction trailer on a bridge construction site, and there was plenty of downtime there for us to get to know each other and talk, and also bond over our love for personal pranks in the workplace. So Keith and I had a lot of fun. And the thing is, as I I talked to Keith and he shared with me about his life, I could tell that he had been in a lot of dark places. His life was much different. And something had changed in his life, and now his, his life was much different. And it was clear from being around Keith that the reason was Jesus. He would come in in the morning and he would pull up his pickup truck Up to the trailer, and the gospel music would just be blaring from the cab. And you could see him in there with his hands up and he was singing at the top of his lungs. And then he would just come under the trailer just bubbling. And I took note of that. And also the way that he talked about his wife. It was awesome. He he would he would tell me about how lucky he was to be married to his wife and how she was so beautiful and all this stuff. And it was so refreshing to hear the way that he talked about it. It was very clear from Keith's life that he was grateful for the second chances that he had been given, and he was doing his best to steward that. I plant Apollos waters, but God makes it grow. Bob was an intelligent and good-natured PhD student that I met in the structures lab at Purdue University. I got a work-study job working for him, and he was building this huge concrete bridge at the structures lab. And so we had a good time building that and getting to know each other. And again, it was apparent from just talking to Bob. He wasn't preachy about it or anything, but I knew he was a Christian. And w- one of the ways that uh, Bob and I would bond, and, and we, were, uh, we were both college students that didn't have a lot of money, and so we would head to Arby's when they would have that roast beef sale, the five for five, you know, when you give them five dollars and they give you the five roast beef sandwiches, So Bob would take two, and I would take two, and that fifth one, we would split right down the middle and share it, and we became good friends over this. And Bob was before his time. He was a really smart guy, and he drove this beater of a car that I used to make fun of him about. And sure enough, the ignition went out on his car, and instead of taking it to the shop and paying someone to fix it, Bob fixed it himself. He bought a doorbell, and he mounted it to the dashboard and then he wired it to the ignition and he would stick the key in and then you would push the doorbell and the car would start. (laughs) It was awesome. And so we called it the doorbell car and I would make fun of him about the doorbell car all the time. And one day he came to work and he told me, he's like, hey Craig, I'm, I'm gonna sell the doorbell car and someone's giving me $500 for it. And I was like, that's awesome, Bob. You're getting $500 for that piece of junk? That's awesome. So I was excited for him. And the next week I came in and I said, so Bob, uh, did you get the $500? And he told me, "Uh, actually I didn't. And I was like, you didn't sell it? And he said, no, I was was praying about it the night before and I felt that God was telling me that I should just give the car to the student. And I was like, what? (laughs) Are you serious, Bob? That was like $500 you could have had. That's 500 Arby's roast beef sandwiches you could've had. But Bob was convinced that God was leading him to give away the car, and he did. And he was happy about it. And I was blown away, I couldn't believe it. And that stuck with me. I plant, Apollo's waters, but God makes it grow. It was around that time, uh, there was also a girl that was in my department, and I had classes with her throughout the years. Her name was Jill. I didn't know her very well, um, but I kind of liked her a little bit. And as uncharacteristic as it was for me, I asked her to have coffee with me. And somehow she agreed to, and I was pretty excited about it. So I told my roommates about it, and I met Jill at the coffee shop at the student union, and we met in one of those big wooden booths, you know? And we sat down and we started to talk. And um, it wasn't long into the conversation when she shared with me, she said, you know, I I wasn't really sure if I should meet up with you. But then I was praying about it. And I sensed that God was telling me, yes, you should go meet with him. And I was thinking like, yeah. (laughs) But, (laughs) But then she continued and she started to share Jesus with me. And I didn't like that. <laughs> that wasn't what I was there to talk about. I was there to talk about me and for her to get to know me. And so I was upset. And she reached into her backpack and she pulled out this little book and she, she put it on the table and she slid it across to me. And it was that book, More Than a Carpenter. If you know it, it's a, it's a book of, uh, for skeptics to, to, to find out about who Jesus is. And the thing was, I already knew about this book because my sister, my older sister, Sherry, She was actually a Christian, and she knew that I wasn't who I said I was. So she had been praying for me, and she knew I needed that book, and she had already given it to me. So at this point, I take the book, and I slide it back across the table to Jill, and I said, look, I'm a Christian. You you don't need to share this book with me. You can give it to someone else, because I already know who Jesus is. Can we please talk about something else now? And she just kept going. She just kept going. And finally, she asked me, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And I was really ticked off at this point. I said, I I don't know, probably. I'm not sure. And she said, that's really interesting. You, You said you're a Christian, but you're not sure if you would go to heaven or not? And I was like, I don't know. I'm a pretty good person. I try to do my best, but in the end, I'm not perfect. And it's God's choice whether I go to heaven or not. So I don't know. And that question stuck with me. It stuck with me. I plant, Apollo's waters, but God makes it grow. I actually stayed friends with Jill. I became friends with her, and she began to connect me with other Christians on campus. And she even connected me with some guys that were having a Bible study. And I I was in this Bible study with these guys, and I started to realize more and more that I was meeting Christians, and they had something that I didn't have. And it was about that time that I graduated, and I ended up going to graduate school in Texas. And, and then it, when I moved there, I, I started to just to fall back into whatever I was into before. Until one, one morning, my friend Jay invited me to go to church with him. And I took him up on it. And I went and I sat down in church, and I could tell things were a little bit different when the pastor said, Get out your Bibles and open them up to a specific passage. And then he started to preach line by line through that passage. And he was opening it up in a way that I had never seen before. And it was mind-blowing to me. So I went back the next week, and to my surprise, he went to the next passage. And he continued to work through that. And he was working on a series all the way through the book of Romans. And so there I was, and God was just opening my eyes to things in a way I'd never seen before. And it was hitting home to me. Because those first few chapters in Romans, they're talking about how the, even the moralist is condemned. That was me. I couldn't be a perfect enough person. I would fall short of the glory of God. And I was starting to realize that I needed Jesus' sacrificial and atoning death to pay for my sins so that I could have new life. All this was becoming open to me. And I would ride my bike home after service just with my head just spinning. I was so excited about it, but at the same time, it was scary. And I remember sitting there in a pew one morning before the service started, and I was starting to contemplate like, what this would mean. If Jesus were real and if I were really to follow him, I would have to give up a lot in my old life, things that I thought were fun. And I was probably going to have to give up friendships too. And I started to count the cost of what it would mean to follow Jesus, and I was feeling that weight. And about this time then, I graduated there, and I moved up to Chicago, and again, I was in a place where I didn't know anybody, and I wanted to desperately find a church that was like this one that would be preaching through a book like I had seen before, but I had no idea how to find a church like that. I knew I needed it, but I had no idea how to find it, and I was frustrated looking around. And finally, I talked to my friend Heather, who was a high school friend of mine, who had gone to Northwestern and gotten saved when she was there. So she told me about this little church in Evanston and said, you should check it out. So I got on the red line to the purple line, it took it an hour one way to get up there. And I, and I found this little church that met in the basement of a Panera Bread. And I, and I sat down there in the back row so that no one would talk to me. And the pastor came up and he said, open your Bibles to the book of Romans And we're going to continue our series to the book of Romans. And he was almost exactly where the pastor in Austin had left off. And I was blown away. I felt like God had me at that point. And I said, God, you do have me, and I'm going to follow you. And I gave my life to him, and I started to grow like a weed. People were pouring into me and teaching me. I asked to be baptized, and my life has never been the same since. Praise God. I plant, Apollos waters, but God makes it grow. God makes it grow. So let's dive back into the passage again. Let's get to the what. Look at the end of verse 5 and then 6. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered. Each person has their task. Each person has their tasks. In most cases, it's an intelligent and intentional harmony of different people planting and watering. In my life, I I was showing you that Bob was showing me that that generosity that I'd never seen before and the peace that you have in submitting to God's will in your life. With Keith, I saw the joy of a new life and what that looked like lived out in everyday life. My mom and my sisters, I could see now how they prayed for me and they were watering from a distance. Jill's task was that challenging conversation where she confronted me with the truth and the courage that she had to do that. The next question is the how. So look at the end of verse 6. But God gave the growth. God gave the growth. That's how it happens. God gives the growth. We have our tasks. But it's god who does the heavy lifting he's the one that actually brings someone from death to life praise god for that it takes the pressure off of us because i'm not responsible for bringing someone from death to life my job is to plant and water and that's encouraging i think a lot of times when we think of personal evangelism we think of witnessing to someone we think of this massively intense conversation where we have all the right answers lined up and we convince someone and we bring them all the way from A to Z and we see them convert before our eyes. Sometimes that happens, but a lot of times it's a process. It's a process. And we might have the opportunity to be the one who's planting or watering at that time when God pops that plant out of the soil and praise God if we get to be there a part of that. That's awesome. But a lot of times, our role is to plant and water as God makes it grow. So leave it to God and take relief in that, that you're free to plant and water. I I look at it like a good player on a bad team. The good player looks around and he sees his teammates not really doing well at their job, so he tries to do a little bit of each of everybody's job. And then he does it poorly and the team fails. But if you take that same good player and put him on a great team, He sees the other good players doing their jobs, and he's free to do his job and do it well. And the team thrives. And I think that that's what we have in that relief. With allowing God to grow, it allows us to thrive in our job of planting and watering. It frees us up to do that. And that brings us back to the who. So neither he, this is verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Neither he who plants or waters is anything. We're nobodies. We are nobodies because he's somebody and he's the one that's making it grow. So that frees us up to be nobodies. And that's awesome. That's awesome. The God of the universe is calling a bunch of nobodies to take part in this process. So why would he ask a bunch of nobodies to join him? And I think the answer can be found in Acts chapter 4, at least an indication of it. Peter and John were in front of the Sanhedrin and were asked how they healed the crippled man. Peter told them that it was by the name of Jesus that the man was healed. He also went on to tell them that they were the ones that murdered Jesus, but that's another thing. They weren't happy. In verse 13, it says... When they, the Sanhedrin, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's why he uses nobodies. Because it can't be us. It has to be Jesus working through us. It has to be Jesus working through us. And that's amazing And continuing with the who, look in verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Doesn't that sound like the parable of the talents that Gerald shared with us? In verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. God's fellow workers. Let that sit for a minute. The God of the universe is inviting us to participate in one of the most amazing processes there is in the world. A person coming from death to life. Someone experiencing new life in Jesus Christ. Someone becoming a new creation in Christ. And we get to participate with him in that. He calls us to be fellow laborers. That's amazing. That is amazing. Remember Gerald's sermon? When he talked about the kind master that calls us to this mission, the joy-filled, loving, and gracious master, that's the one that's calling us. That's the one that's giving us this opportunity. One of the greatest joys in life is to realize that God has you exactly where he wants you, and he's using you exactly as he needs you to be. In, in the process of a person coming to faith in Jesus. It's one of the most amazing things that you can be part of, and God invites us to as his fellow workers. And the other thing about this, not only do we get to participate with God in this, but we also get to participate with each other in this, and that's a great thing, because being on mission together brings the body of Christ together. Being on mission together brings the body of Christ together together. It encourages us. It's infectious, and we get to celebrate things like Gabe coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. When I was studying at Moody Bible Institute, uh, we had prayer partners there, and you would meet with your prayer partner once a week, and and you would um, share prayer requests, and you would pray with each other and get to know each other. And my prayer partner there was a man named Xinhua, he was originally from China, and he had come to the States, and now he was a pastor for a Mandarin-language congregation out in the suburbs. And so we got to know each other, and we swapped stories. I got to tell him about how Bob and Keith and Jill and my sister had watered and planted in my life and how I'd come to faith. And then Shin started to share his story with me. And Shin told me, that there was a turning point in his life. And that was when someone came to him and asked him to do a job of translation for him. Because Shin was one of those college students at the University of Iowa at the time of the shooting. And Ann Cleary's brothers were the ones that came to him because they wanted him to translate their letter from English to Mandarin so that they could send it to the shooter's family. And Shin said he was blown away by this forgiveness. He couldn't believe that they were forgiving the shooter and writing this letter. And he saw them at the memorial service. He saw the brothers making a point to talk to each person and to comfort each of the Chinese students that were there that night, including him. One of the brothers had had found out that Shin was born in Shanghai, and the brother was also born overseas in Shanghai, and he shared this with Shin, and that was the moment where Shin realized that God was pursuing him, and he gave his life to Jesus at that point. And and Shin shared his testimony, he published it, and he said that later on, he received letters from all over the world from people that responded to his story by putting their faith in Jesus too. So you can see how this one tragic event out of that came so many things because people were planting and watering, even in this difficult thing. And Shin and I would share prayer requests. And, and one week I was telling him about one of my coworkers uh, that I had been praying for. And, and this coworker had become curious when he found out that I was in seminary. And so he started to ask me a lot of spiritual questions. And he, you could tell he was thinking about a lot of things. And I, and I described him to Shin while I was telling him he's actually uh, from China as well. And he attends a Bible study with his wife sometimes because she's actually a believer But he goes with her sometimes and he told me that the Bible study's not for him. But as I described this guy more and more, Shin started asking me questions. And we realized that the Bible study that he was attending with his wife was in the the church that Shinhua was pastoring. And his wife had been in that same Bible study they had met him before. And we realized that we were planting and watering on the same man. And it was so encouraging to both of us. And so we began to pray for my coworker. And it was years later, probably eight or 10 years later, I was was sitting at my desk at work and um, he had gone and worked for another company, uh, my coworker. And I had not i lost touch with him. I hadn't seen him for years. And I saw him walking back to my desk and he had a big smile on his face. And he said that he had been in in the office for a business development meeting, but they asked where I sat because he wanted to come back and tell me in person that he had become a Christian. It was amazing. It's amazing how God chooses to use us nobodies to be part of the most amazing process in the world. I plant Apollos waters, but God makes it grow. So we've shared a lot of stories this morning and i'd just like to leave you with a few things to encourage you number one live intentionally look for the opportunities that god is giving you and pray that he would give you eyes to see those opportunities and live in the joy of the new life that you have in jesus god's love and grace can't help but overflow out of you onto others live with a conviction that the greatest thing that you can give to that person that's in your life is the gift of new life through Jesus Christ. And if you go into those relationships with that, it's gonna change the way you go into it. (laughs) Take steps of faith, number two. Have faith that God will make it grow. As I said, it takes the pressure off of us and allows us to plant and water freely. And sometimes, sometimes, though, it feels hopeless. It feels like we've been planting and watering, and we're not sure if that water's doing anything. We're not sure if there's anybody else out there planting and watering. And I know many of you, I know many of you have been praying for a loved one to come to faith in Jesus. Don't give up, don't give up. We're with you in this too, and we can be co-laborers in this. One of my coworkers, I prayed for 17 years for him to be saved and he finally came to faith in Jesus Christ. My friend Art, who gave me this barong that I'm wearing this morning from the Philippines, have faith that God is sending you to plant and water. Have faith that God is using you to plant and water, even if you're not seeing it. Bob had no idea the impact that he had on my life. I finally contacted him 25 years later, and told him of the impact that he had on my life. And he was so excited to hear about it. He couldn't believe that I had become a Christian. He was so excited about it. He had no idea. My wife has spent a lot of time in this season really pouring into our kids and really taking care of them and taking Asha to tons of appointments and visits. And she was sharing with me that sometimes it's tough, that it feels like she's not able to be as intentional as she once was in people's lives because of the season that she's in right now. And I just try to encourage her that like, I really believe that people will see your life and they'll know that there's a difference. Because I'm thinking of people like Bob and Keith that had shared with me and I'd seen their life. And you know what, one of our neighbors approached me kind of out of the blue. And he was talking to me and he told me, he said, you know what? I see your wife with all those little kids, and I see see her struggling to get them in the van and get them out of the van and taking them from place to place. But you know what? There's something different about the way that she operates. And I was able to tell him at that point that that was because she has Jesus in her life, and that's why things are different. And so even when she felt like she didn't have a direct ministry, people were watching her life, and they were seeing the impact that Jesus had on her life. So don't give up. Pastor Jeremy Crow once said, a supernatural faith should stand out in a culture of naturalism. A supernatural faith should stand out in a culture of naturalism. And the thing is, that's true. As we live a supernatural life, as we have faith in Jesus, people are going to notice that we grieve differently that we apologize differently. They're gonna see that and that's gonna stand out against the culture and it's gonna be a witness. It's modeled in our everyday life, what we're doing every day, our joy, our generosity, our courage, our forgiveness. Even in the way we grieve, God can use those things. And take joy, take joy. God has invited you to be part of this miraculous process. And there's joy in the body as he uses us to plant and water together there's joy as we celebrate new life together and finally number four take the opportunity you may be like me this morning years ago when i was sitting in the pew and maybe you're not yet a follower of jesus and maybe right now you're thinking about people that god has placed in your life and now you see that have been planting and watering And it's not this random assortment of people, but it was very intentional. And that's a loving God pouring into your life, pursuing you. So take this opportunity to turn from your old life and repent and call upon the name of Jesus and be saved and take on the new life and the joy of following Jesus. So let's go and let's plant and water and trust
0: God as he grows it. Thank you.